1: The fantasy football season has come to an end, but this is the perfect time to take your sports viewing experience to the next level. Epson just hooked your boy up with this new Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector, including their optional 120 inch Silver Flex screen. And I'm telling you right now, this is an absolute game changer. With an epic 120 inch picture, it's twice the size of an 85 inch TV. I should know I had one of those in my old setup and y'all know I love scouting prospects for the NFL draft and with that 4K pro UHD picture this big it can take the way that I evaluate prospect game film to a level never seen before. To learn more visit Epson.com forward slash wake up. Again that's E-P-S-O-N.com forward slash wake up and like Epson says bring the sportsbook experience home.
2: It's a destination. We are finally here.
1: Let's go.
0: What is good, everyone? Welcome back. Another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Follow everything that the Destination Debbie team is doing, patreon.com slash all gas. This is the time to join. More content than ever, more podcasts than ever, more tools than ever, and the most exciting time in the NFL offseason coming up. So by the time you're listening to this, Uh, We may have already started the tampering period, which is just a week of, well, it'll be two days worth of just absolute mania and nonsense. And a lot of it may or may not come true, but that's why we love the NFL because there's basically drama year round. Uh, But this is a great time to join the team. Uh, Our Heisman has blown up over the last month, more people than I can ever remember. And I know these guys have been there longer than me, but I was in the voice chat the other day. We had 28 people in there, and I'm going like that's actually too many for me to even get a word in. And I'm usually in the top like five in terms of getting a word in. So check it out if you're interested. Good stuff, a lot coming. Again, patreon.com slash all gas. The newsletter, it is all gas.bhive dot com slash subscribe, enter your email, get weekly content in written form as well. Uh, Last week on Destination Dynasty, we kicked off the Best Ball Roster Construction Series. We talked quarterbacks, so check that out. Uh, And then we did the second episode about running backs on 4D Chess. So if you're tapped into the DD feed, you probably heard both of those shows last week. We are continuing again this week. Tonight, we're going to be talking wide receiver. And again, I'm here to learn because... I'm pretty pretty ironclad when it comes to what receivers I want in lineup and in best ball I've had to uh, expand my mind a little bit so we're back with Mike and Adam co-hosts of 4d chess best ball savants geniuses that I'm about to learn from here what's
3: going on guys wow Wow, what a what an intro there! Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to be back, Scott. This has been a great series so far, and tonight we get to talk about wide receivers. And this comes from Mister just a few years ago. Wide receivers don't matter, and uh, I'm sorry. I apologize. They do matter, and Scott. I guess. Uh, I guess we're both going to have a little egg on our face because we're going to talk about the uh, the roster cloggers, the ones that you don't like in lineup leagues, and. You're gonna to have to know to love one in the best ball, but glad to be back, ready to dive into this.
0: We'll get there. I was gonna ask Adam this: Adam, do roster cloggers exist in best ball in the form of receivers? We talked about roster cloggers at running back; they're absolutely our roster cloggers at running back. You know the uh, Chris Evans types that really are just a myth. Sure, it's one one or two snaps a game. That's you guys would call that a roster clogger in best ball, right? Yes. Do, do they exist at wide receiver, though? That's the question to you. But what's going on, man?
2: What's going on, man? Um, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I, I will say that was a pretty glowing... I, I'm not sure I'm a savant of anything yet, but uh, I will give you all I know about best ball. And the answer to this question on the roster construction and roster clogger specifically, it can be, yes. I mean, if you're getting a receiver that just has a name but isn't actually getting snaps, like... That's a roster-clogger. I hate to tell you, Jameson Williams was a roster-clogger last year in best ball. But it's the reality. Silence
0: after that name. There was about five seconds of just, whoa, what did you just say?
2: Yeah, man. Now, I'm not telling he's going to be a roster-clogger next year in best ball, but last year, if you rostered him waiting for him to come back and then had him all along in the playoffs, he didn't do anything for you. You you had a roster-clogger, a complete zero. Now, basically, you don't want to have people out there that don't have an opportunity to score on your bench. That's the reality at the wide receiver position. So it goes a lot deeper. I mean, significantly deeper than what we would consider in a lineup league.
3: I mean, I, I just looked at the the list of wide receivers I had. I have a hundred and I couldn't find one on there where I'd go, I wouldn't roster him in best ball. I don't want him, And that includes a previous favorite LaVisca Chenault. So that's how gross it gets.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have to set the stage here with, what do we mean by roster clogger? I mean, best ball can be a wide variety of different things. But I know in our first episode, we settled on some basic parameters that we're talking for this series. So we decided on 12 teams, super flex, 11 starters, which is going to consist of a quarterback, two running backs, three receivers. We're keeping it true. Two running backs, three receivers. None of these start one at every position. Uh, makes it makes the roster construction pretty much worthless when you're when you're looking at a setup like that. So we're talking a quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, a super flex, three regular flexes, 30-man rosters, so 19 bench players. Uh, With the caveat, no taxi, no injured reserve, that has to bring in a little extra strategy. We hit on that on the first episode of when you don't have a taxi and you don't have injured reserve, there are going to be spots, and I think we're going to talk about one of those tonight, receivers that are out injured for the year guys that are not like actual dynasty assets that have value. uh, You can't really stash them. You don't really want to hold on to like the Odell Beckhams and the John Mechies of the world. Like in a lineup league, you stick those guys on a taxi or injured reserve. No big deal. But when you don't have any of those, the roster spots become really, really valuable just to have a body that could fire instead of carrying one of those guys on the bench. So that's what we're going to operate here tonight. And just for everybody that didn't catch the first two episodes or, uh forgets from a couple days ago i think we settled on five quarterbacks being optimal and eight running backs being optimal so right there we've hit on 13 of our 30 roster spots so we have 17 to play with between tight ends and wide receivers so let's just start with that we'll go go with mike first like where are you at from the roster construction standpoint of approaching this from a blank slate we talked about that kind of with running backs like how strong your top couple are going to determine how many you need to carry eventually on your team. So let's just get your basic uh, input or basic strategy when it comes to the receiver position.
3: With these uh, settings that we have, I think wide receiver for me, and it's pretty much standard in all best ball leagues. It's going to be the deepest position and the ones that I carry the most on because there's the most amount of guys that are relevant for best ball purposes, right? We we went through the quarterbacks and we went through the running backs, but when we get to the tight end episode that'll come out on 4D on Friday, we're also going to talk about it. Like, there's almost a point where you just have too many of those other positions. It's really hard to have too many wide receivers, right? If I look at it, I'm going, just about any best ball league I'm going to do, I'm going to want at least 10 of these guys on my rosters to varying degrees. Like, I feel much better if I have, you know, some higher end players. Then I kind of want to have a majority of those mid tier guys, but I'm going to fill out my roster. Not, not being roster cloggers, but fill out my roster with a lot of wide receivers, a lot of darts, a lot of, you know, hey, Russell Gage looks good. Maybe I'll take him. Tyquan Thornton, he might have a week. Khalif Raymond of all people. You know, I might want him on my roster. So I'm going at least 10 wide receivers, but I honestly think you can probably, depending on how you construct those other positions, we talked about with quarterbacks, we talked about with running backs, if you have higher end talent at the top, you don't need to waste as many positions as dart throws or, or longer shots or, or trying to backfill those positions like you do on wide receivers. So that's where you're going to, to invest all those free spaces that you have, all those guys that you're going to go out and pick up after, on waivers after the draft or all those guys, you know, in the 25th round of your startup that you don't care about, or all those dollar players, if you're doing an auction startup. So that's where I'm spending my money for wide receivers. So it's going to be a deep one. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about with wide receivers as we get into it, but just a baseline to kick it off, Scott, I'm looking at at least 10 of these guys that I want on my team. And it's probably going to get up into the range of 15, 16, to be honest.
2: Adam. Yeah. I mean, it, th- this is, uh, going to be such a big one because the wide receiver position, you know, Mike and I were more on the wide receiver doesn't matter train last year. And, um, I think part of the reason that we said that was because in best ball you can continue to go down the list into the wide receiver, 70, 80, 90 and roster them. And they actually, you know, they're not extremely valuable pieces, but they'll make your lineup, you know, a handful of times possibly. And that actually matters. And the, the thing about it is you want to have more of the wide receiver position pretty much than all the other ones, because wide receivers that do nothing for five weeks could actually pop um just because of their snap share so this one you want to have i I think my number was around 12 mike's probably right you got to have at least 10 and i think uh one thing i want to talk about whether it's now or um, in the the future here in this episode is what they look like and kind of like tiering what type of receivers you want to target and the other thing too with this position is is you really want to make sure your fab budget is allocated to that position. So you, you think about last year, like Greg Dortch. Who who knew anything about Greg Dortch really going into last year? Probably not many of us, right? No. And if you did, what did you know? Not much. So this guy had four uh four four consistent weeks. Like in our model, we have spike weeks and consistent weeks. So consistency weeks, top twenty four at the position. Basically, he's gonna make your lineup if we're starting eleven people. He did that four times. Most people got him on waivers last year, but that's just one example. There's a handful of them. So you want to have 10 to 12. And then also I think another big point is when you do your startup, okay, let's say you have 10 or 12, you have to keep in mind which one of these guys and probably a handful of them need to go to waivers and you need to bring someone else in. You probably have to rotate the last three, four, five of these players um, unless you're extremely deep at that position.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest difference for me in adjusting to the best ball versus lineup is the core of me building and lineup from the prior roster construction series started with the wide receiver position. And the more that I think about this and listen to you guys talk and just think about how the position is allocated, it's actually the opposite here. You know, I'm not as focused on... Now, obviously, in a lineup startup, just like in a best ball startup we talked about the viability of trading up and getting the elite quarterbacks. That gives you the flexibility to do what Mike was saying, is if I have two home-run quarterbacks, probably what it's doing is it's allowing me to maybe only roster three, maybe four, instead of going to that five number, which is buying me an extra spot or two later. And most likely, if I'm going to use that extra spot, it's going to be at wide receiver or at tight end, like we'll talk about on the next episode, Because there's just a a bigger sample size of players that potentially could fire in that range. I mean, just looking at last year, I looked these up uh, before we came on the show. So just last year, average per week, you had over 12 different players that were scoring just between 15 and 20 points per week. That's not counting the spike weeks, which you may consider are up above 20 and that's not counting just like some of the replacement-level weeks where a guy scores 11, 12. Maybe that makes the bottom end of your lineup in some weeks. But then if you take it down to just guys that are scoring in the, the double figures, so if you're just talking like between 10 and 20 points per game, I mean, it, it, was, it was damn near 600 games from wide receivers across the season where that happened. So if you take that across, I mean, you're talking essentially more than 30 points players per week are just scoring between like the 10 and 20 points per game mark. And think about how many games that is per week. I mean, that's, that's 30 players per week that are hitting that number. And a lot of times the guys that are spiking are some of the elite players that are above it. You guys have talked about it before the guys that have seven, eight, nine spike weeks, you know, like that, those are usually the elite players. So a lot of these in between weeks, you know, I could just pick a random week out of this sample size and it's like, Oh, wow. You know, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Richie James, Mac Hollins. like Those types are just littered throughout this sample size. And in lineup leagues, you would probably not capture 80% or more of those games. And I think that's the biggest thing is I have to get past the idea of it's a roster clogger. Even if a guy fires twice a year and gives you a consistent week, that's probably worth the roster spot. Wouldn't you guys agree? Twice puts up... Yeah. 14, 15 points in a season, that's worth a roster spot where yes. a lot of running backs, they may not have one game. You guys talked about it last week with Kenneth Gainwell. He didn't have one game like that. Yet how many people would have rostered a guy like Kenneth Gainwell over not even picking the guy from the beginning of the year? I think Mike hit it on the, the quarterback episode was one of the beautiful things about receivers is sometimes they just come out of nowhere. And if you have the fab, you just pick them up. It's like, wow, I just hit on one or two usable weeks off the waivers because I don't think we're very good at knowing who's the wide receiver for on a team. Had you guys had any of you guys heard about Trenton Irwin last year before the season started?
2: Nope. I will say though, uh Mike knows all about Trenton Irwin. He knows uh, him damn. all about some Trenton Irwin. Go ahead and tell him what you know about Trenton Irwin, Mike. Man, that
3: man cost me a championship berth because Adam picked him up. <laughs> Adam picked him up in the playoffs and he made his lineup. That's it's horse. Horse crap, man. I hate it.
0: (laughs) And the funny thing about Trenton Irwin is coming into the year, he wasn't even one of the guys that I would have said would have been active on game days for the team. It was like, okay, they had this guy, Mike Thomas, Stanley Morgan, Trent Taylor, you're going, okay. So Trenton Irwin was buried, and we would have gone like, there's no way he's fantasy relic. But I don't think it takes that much for a guy to go from the wide receiver seven to the wide receiver four. It could be as simple as, you know, he plays special teams. So he's more likely to get on the field if there's an injury, right? Like, and that's the only difference, but you may not see that until the season starts. So I think just knowing that wide receivers, third, fourth, fifth, sixth on the depth chart, a lot of times we don't even pay attention to that, nor do we know until they actually start playing the games. You just know there's going to be a lot of inefficiency in leagues in the off season. Like I'm not even worried about, there's going to be 50 Trent Irwins that emerge yes year, next year. I don't have to know who they are in April or May. I'm just banking that they're going to be available every once in a while on waivers. And it, it gives you the flexibility to be able to pick those guys up when you have higher-end talents at the other positions. So, so it's some interesting just thought process because I was going to ask both of you this question. I know you've heard me talk about the wide receiver threshold and where that is and how I calculate it. Uh, It's essentially just a real, real basic calculation when you're talking PPR, taking about half of the number of flexes started across your league and multiplying that by the number of teams. So basically, if you're talking three flexes, that's 36. Divide that by two because it's half. That's 18 plus the number of receivers that are started across the league, 36. So real loosely, my wide receiver threshold would be about around wide receiver 50 to 60, somewhere in there. In theory, I don't roster a receiver past that point. But that's thrown out the window in best ball. So how, where do you pick right. the cutoff? How are you determining your cutoff, Mike, like now if you're doing a startup? Is it just gut feel? Is it based on what you what you think you might know, what you saw last year? How do you establish what that threshold is going to be, knowing there's going to be random wide receivers that pop up later?
3: So my threshold that I have, some numbers Adam was talking about, our our model that we made up just to track it for two years now. He had five wide receivers last year with at least five spike weeks. So it's really concentrated at the top with the elite ones. And the elite ones are elite. I mean, it's the Cooper Cups and the Justin Jeffersons, you know, those kind of guys. He had 10 wide receivers with three spike weeks, 23 with at least two, and 41 with at least one spike week. So they finished top five on the week. Now, when you just look at consistency, and this is kind of how I model it off of, because it's really hard. It's really hard for me to find those guys who are going to spike, right? It's a very select few of guys, the elite of the elite, who are going to be the consistent spikers, if that's what we want to call it. But I'm just looking at guys who are going to make a lineup, who are going to be top 24 wide receivers on the week and how often they can do it. Both years, I'm looking at somewhere around like 38 to 40 wide receivers will have at least five consistent weeks. So those are that's where I want to invest most of my assets. So your threshold theory is right when you talk about top 50. But for best ball purposes, Scott, I expanded down. Like I want to build the core of my wide receivers with those top 40 guys, or in your case, top 50 guys. I want to build the core, but I'm also going to have ancillary pieces to support my core, and that goes all the way down to 81. Because there's at least 81 wide receivers last year and then this year that had two or more consistent weeks or possibly spike weeks within their built-in. You know, Maybe they had one and one, but at least two times during the year they'd enter your lineup because they're top 24 wide receivers. You have a positional advantage over other people. So I really have a list of about 80, and it was like that heading in the last year before I even made the model. I kind of just looked at draft boards and just going like, who do I feel good about? For me, wide receiver-wise, when I'm surfing the bottom of the barrel – scott to to your point i'm kind of just looking at guys who are if i if i'm in the off season and doing a startup and team building right now i'm looking at wide receivers who are wide receiver threes on their team like i think every wide receiver three needs to be rostered in best ball i don't care about the offense whether the run heavy pass heavy wide receiver threes are on the field quite a bit but then when i'm in season scott all i'm doing is chasing snap counts right i'm looking and seeing if Man, do you, you see Rashid Shaheed played 60% of the snaps last week? Why is he still on waivers? I'm picking him up. <laughs> I'm picking him up. Do you see Taekwon Thornton played 55% of the snaps in the last week? If, if somebody had dropped him, he's on my team. Trent Sherfield is another one that I picked up everywhere, made my lineup a handful of times, but all I'm doing is chasing snap counts. I have no opinion on whether Trent Sherfield was good at football or not, or a good receiver, hell, I barely even knew the guy. I think he played for the Cardinals before he went to the Dolphins, and I barely remember him. So I'm just chasing snap counts at it. But to put a number on it, like a threshold for best ball for me, it's about 80, Scott.
2: Yeah, um, and I think you know that that's the right number, um, honestly. And I think I kind of want to dig a little deeper into – I've kind of tiered these into four different tiers to think about it. Mike, Mike's essentially right. Who you want to roster should be snap count related, especially when you're trying to talk and churning the bottom three or four guys. If you don't have someone that's getting 30%, 40% of snaps, I mean, you maybe you were holding on Jameson Williams because he wasn't playing at all, hoping, and then you saw what happened. But those guys need to go. If they're getting 60 70% of snaps, even on a bad team, I want to roster them. But when we think about how to tier them and what we want to do, how to roster them, for me – Two big things, um, obviously outside of the snap would be high scoring offenses and then two teams that pass a lot. Now, if you can get both of those things in unison, if you're talking a top ten team that's scoring and a top ten team in pass attempts, you have a chance to do something special in the best ball world. So follow with me here as as I kind of talk about this that I've looked through. So tier one is essentially the studs that don't matter, right? Like Jefferson, Chase, Adams, A.J. Brown, Diggs, Lamb, Amon, right? You can go down and down the list, right? The reality, though, they probably don't matter. They're probably good enough to where you don't necessarily need a high-scoring offense or a high-passing offense. But when you get to Tier 2, there are some talented players that didn't have a high-scoring offense or pass volume that are actually in Tier 2, which are like you know D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Chris Olave, Drake London. Pickens and Deontay. I know uh, Scott loves him some Pickens. He doesn't even want to hear about him as an elite talent, but (laughs) you you get the point here. Tier 2, though, so so Tier 1, basically, they're going to afford you spikes and floor. What makes them ridiculous is that they're they're almost – some of those guys are almost set it and forget it in best ball. That's hard to do in best ball, right? And they can spike. Now, in Tier 2, these guys are still important. They're not going to have the spike week potential of the other guys probably. But they do have really high floors, so it still saves you in best ball, and you need to have at least a good amount of floor. Tier three, though, so we're talking at this point probably not elite talents, but they're catapulted by their situation, right? If you go back to high-scoring offenses and teams that pass a lot, two people you're going to see in this tier immediately that stand out, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. They are very high in our best ball model, and it's because they had, they played on an offense that passes a lot and scored a lot. They had a good quarterback, right? That is something that matters. So when you start thinking about down the line who you want to roster, you want to make sure you have enough guys that do have a floor. And you're always going to roster, even on a bad team, someone that's getting a bunch of snaps. Because Rashid Shahid can have a great week. Greg Dortch can have a you know consistent week. But they're not going to probably have the crazy spike weeks where, Zay Jones and Christian Kirk both spiked multiple times. That's not happening if they're not on a good offense, right? So, so that's one thing to consider. And then tier four is they're not, in, not elite, not in a good situation, but they're getting a bunch of snaps.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the snap stuff because I think what you could probably you could do worse than just creating a really basic model that says, okay, it's March. I have no clue what a lot of these wide receiver depth charts are going to look like, but if I just took the teams that I think, and, and as we get closer to the season, I know their projections. And as Eric would say, uh, Eric Vanek, shout out to Eric uh, who hosts America's Game. You know, you give him a good set of projections and he's just going to call those dog shit. I don't care what one person says. They don't mean anything, right? But I think when you get enough of them, it's just like mock drafts. One person's mock draft, we look at that and go, okay, whatever, it's one person. But if you look at a hundred of them and they're all taking a somewhat educated approach, the the cumulative nature of all a hundred together should give you some sort of valuable data. And I think it's the same with projections. If we can take 10 different sets of projections. Maybe people have come to those numbers independently. Maybe they think a little bit differently of certain situations or certain coaches. But if you take 10 people and they've really actually come up with a set of projections, you can probably look at that to say, okay, this is an idea of what the pass volume is going to be for these teams. That's the first thing. Then you can look back historically. We have great data on uh, the Running Backs Don't Matter site that looks at neutral pass rate and stuff for the last 20 years. Uh, And they have a lot of data on that that says, okay, Who are the teams over the last two or three years that pass at the highest rates? So assuming they're not blowing the other team out or they're not down by 21 plus points, who are the teams that pass the most? And it wouldn't be surprising if I read off the teams that had the highest neutral pass rates. A lot of times it's the teams with the best quarterbacks, right? Like the top three, Bengals, Bills, Chargers, Chiefs. What do those teams have in common? They have the better quarterbacks. Like somebody is saying, hey, We got Patrick Mahomes. We should probably throw it more than we run it, regardless of who our running back is. Our offense should be 65% pass. And probably the way that they look at that is they want their offense to be 65% pass, but they want the 35% of the time they're running it to be as efficient and bang for your buck as possible. And I think that's the way the NFL is trending. So I think if you just follow that, not only the pass rate, But then it's how many sheer attempts. And sometimes those correlate, but sometimes they don't. Like there are some teams in here that pass it at a really high rate, but they don't end up with a lot of attempts. So what's going on there? But I think if you just took those two things, it would give you an idea of okay, I think we all know to roster, you know, we're all rostering like Mike Williams or Tyler Lockett, obviously, right? But what teams do we want to pick up the third, fourth, fifth receiver on before the season starts? Who are we trying to speculate on? It's probably not the fourth receiver on the Falcons, right? They passed it the second least number of times in the league, and they had the second lowest neutral pass rate. That is not a team that's going to pass a lot. So you can kind of look at that and say, I'm going to bet against the third or fourth receiver on the Falcons, even if maybe that's a guy that you think is going to play 50% of the snaps or more. Like, that's probably not the situation to go after. So it's interesting because when I look at this, Mike, you said 81 Adam, you were probably a little bit higher if you had to put a number on it. But I look at this as the opposite of lineup. In lineup, what am I doing after wide receiver fifty to sixty so roster roster clogger? Gone. Right, you want them gone? gone. Don't even roster them. What am I rostering in place?
2: Running backs, what? running backs that don't that aren't they're, that aren't playing that have a chance to play.
0: It's any running back on a fifty-three, right? Right. And usually, you can do that because there's only teams that carry teams only carry like three running backs at a time. Some teams carry four, but you can essentially in in best or in non best ball, you can justify rostering literally any running back that is active on game days. Right. Even if it's hey next week he instead of being the number three, he's going to be the number two. But in lineup, you're like, all right, I don't care. I have 19 bench spots here that are not in my lineup. So who cares? Best ball, I literally look at those spots as it's it's flip flopped receivers are going to occupy all of those spots versus the running backs. So if you've ever seen one of my lineup benches, it's usually like, holy shit, dude, you have 16 running backs out of 30 spots and 12 of them suck. Yeah. But that's how my roster construction is going to go here. It's probably going to look more like I have what, I mean, if you look at Koopa's numbers that he gave us, he has 11 receivers and six tight ends as being optimal. So people are going to look at your best ball receiver and tight end rooms and go, yuck. You got a bunch of shit in there, man. Why do you got X with Equanimee Saint Brown and Dante Pettis and Trenton Irwin? And why are you rostering Nelson Aguilar? You know, but it's kind of the opposite. So it, it's not quite any wide receiver on a fifty-three. But what what would you say a good uh, a good slogan is for the receiver? Any wide receiver in. Four wide sets or something like that? I mean, there's got to be a, a mantra that you could come up with that kind of fits the bill, but something like that, right?
3: When they go Hill Mary mode, if you're on the field, for that, you're in. You're in, man. You go uh, the old Madden, five wide, just chuck it deep every play. Five verticals. Yeah, if, if you're in that formation, I, I care about you in, in best ball. That's a wide receiver.
0: So how do we value these guys? I think this is the biggest thing that I'm starting to adjust, even in like the Royal Rumble League. You know, I've sent out a bunch of trade offers and I'm sitting here going like, dude, is it it, is that Josh Palmer really worth more than a third in a best ball league? Like reality, he's not, but it seems like people, when they have those guys, when they have that McCole Hardman or that Nelson Aguilar, they don't want to part with them in best ball. Whereas in lineup, you're going, oh my God, you give me a third from a Hardman? Sign me up. Like I'm taking that third. But best ball, it doesn't feel like you can make those deals as easy. And that's where I'm trying to figure out. How do we tr- value those guys on the market? Because it's almost like, Mike, if you have a bunch of those guys and you have your roster construction where you want, it doesn't benefit you to trade one of them for a third. You know, like what what, how do you value those types? That's the biggest tricky part for me.
3: I, I would say you, you have that hesitancy to trade them. But, Scott, the reality is once you get down so far, like you're talking to the Josh Palmers and the Miko Hardmans, like those types, yes, are they good for best ball? Are they valuable for my team? hundred percent. But if someone wants to give me a tangible asset that maybe I can use to fix another part of my team that may be a little bit weak, like if I if I'm struggling and I don't have – eight running backs that I feel are all going to have jobs, right? That are actually going to get some sort of workload, or maybe I wanted to tear up at the running back position to get a little bit higher, or maybe I needed to package a couple of picks plus a lesser quarterback, maybe to jump up a tier. If that's possible, those wide receivers of that ilk, you should trade them. You should because they're so easily replaceable with, with guys off of waivers, just random dudes, just guys hanging out there. Or you'll get them as throw-ins. There'll be other ones that are less valuable to people for whatever reason. Like they may be just grosser wide receivers to them. They're like, oh, LaVisca Chenault's never been any good. Sure, you know, somebody could gladly take him. I've heard 50 podcasts dunk on LaVisca Chenault. He's horrible. In best ball, I have an interest in him. So if people want to show interest in like my Josh Palmer types, I will gladly go to a LaVisca Chenault and take any type of capital on top of it to maybe help fix my team in other areas so i would say diamond handing the turdier wide receivers like once you get past a certain range is, is just setting yourself up for massive mistakes like diamond hand the good guys diamond hand the guys in like the middle like those wide receiver two types other than that the rest of them all easily replaceable and it falls off so fast and the tier just becomes giant so move those guys. If anybody shows interest in move them because you'll find other ones later.
2: Yeah. I think, um, you know, th- this question here, one, one of the things, I mean, Mike and I are in so many damn best ball leagues now and and you get to see based on being in that many leagues, what is working, what's not, we have, you know, data points to show it. Um, we have, you know, this, this spike in consistency week to try to give context to what matters. And, The one thing especially and the reason I wanted to go over those tiers is I I think a lot of times what I'm going to probably start doing more of, which I thought was right, but I I feel more convicted now than ever, is like Josh Palmer. Okay, The the reason it's if I can sell him for more than what he's worth in dynasty value, I'd probably do it just because you want him on the Chargers team, right? But the reality is last year he has one spike week, three consistent weeks. That's good. But that's Richie James can replace that. Like that that's the truth, right? Now, you still want to have him. I want to roster as many Palmers as I can down the line so that I don't have zeros coming in. But I think the big thing here and how to try to basically play up dynasty values and make your team the most efficient at the receiver position is guys that are, are like guys that I thought were really good in best ball that aren't. Brandon Cooks. Like Great name, great name, but he's playing for Houston. They're terrible. He's not spiking. He's not consistent. He's not happy. Then you got a lot of guys like Traylon Burks, right? These guys cost a lot, but Traylon Burks didn't do a thing for you. Zero zero spikes, three consistent weeks. Like Deontay Johnson, same type idea. These are the type of guys I'd actually try to sell out of. They can get you more value back than just a third, right? If you can actually liquidate out of those guys, or even put it, put it into the running back room, the tight end room, that, I think, is an edge that isn't being exploited enough of. For example, I, Mike and I hate Gabe Davis. All right, let me give you a good one. We hate Gabe Davis, and it, we don't actually. It's just that he's valued too high in Dynasty. But, you know, if I could sell Traylon Burks, who's clearly worth more than Gabe Davis, but if I can go from Traylon Burks to Gabe Davis in a second, which isn't that crazy of a deal, that's huge you got a t- you got a guy that's going to give you just as much pr- production on a better offense, and you have the second to play with now. Like Those are the type of moves I think that I'm going to tra- try to uh, make more of this coming up year, and everyone listening to this is probably not going to make it very fun for me trying to do that, but that's, that's uh, the reality of something I'm trying to do moving forward.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it feels like just knowing what I know about the wide receiver position and how it's been distributed over the last couple years, it feels like there is that dynasty value zone, but then I give you these names and you go, wow, that guy might be valued at wide receiver 30 in dynasty, but then you look them up and compared to wide receiver 60 in dynasty, it's the same impact. So you can just look at the names and sit here and go like, all right, you have a, a Brandon Iuke, you know, is, is Brandon Iuke really that different than somebody like Donovan Peoples Jones? If the price is triple, what it would cost for DPJ. If you get three DPJs for one Brandon Ayuk, he's gone. that That's the kind of deal where in a lineup league, you'd go, dude, you're giving me essentially, you know, two seconds and a third for a potential top 24 receiver. Give me that all day because I'm going to need to find quality to put in my lineup because I'm only starting 11 here. And I've seen you guys do it here. You get offered a deal like that. Is this one of those ranges, Mike, where you're willing just to go? I don't care about the name. If I can get the three for one, if I can get the two for one, and you throw me an extra pick, like I'm doing that because I know I'm going to be able to build out my lineup. And worst case scenario, if I'm short a player, there's going to be a my 11th or 12th receiver. I can probably find him on waivers at some point too. So like that. It, are those deals you can actually see get done in dynasty leagues that are best ball? Like are people, or is it just depend on the quality of the managers? It feels like there's a wide receiver zone where it's like the names are valuable. You said one Traylon Burks. But I'm looking at this, these wide receiver twos and threes in Dynasty, and they have like late first round value in like a lineup league. But then you look at their best ball impact and you go, this guy wasn't that good. Like, why are we valuing that name over even McCole Hardman? Like, we shit on McCole Hardman, but he's actually not that different than some of guys, and I would go, Wow, one has dynasty vestball ball value or one has dynasty value. McCole Hardman is a guy that nobody likes. So like how do you how do you make those moves are they getting done
3: yeah yeah the the simple fact is Adam and I have talked about it for a long time and for those of you listening dynasty Best ball is relatively new i mean dynasty itself is a newer form of playing but dynasty Best ball, especially when sleeper implemented it you know just a couple of years ago was the first time that it became really mainstream i know scott you're you're a M- mfl guy I never have been, right? Sleeper was the the way that I was able to go into it and go, hey, this is easy to read. It looks nice. It's easy to navigate. So there was a lot of people playing on Sleeper. So when they implemented Dynasty Best Ball and you could customize your entire league, it kind of started to come on pretty quick. Adam and I probably did five, six, seven leagues maybe that first year. All of our teams were horrible. <laughs> we did absolutely horrible. And then last year, Turned it around from what we learned in year one, but those moves are still getting done. I still post those moves that I do on Twitter and still get absolutely roasted in the comments for it. And then I go home and I win a championship and it doesn't really matter. People will always gravitate towards the names, right? That's the edge that we still have in dynasty best ball. It's trading away Justin Jefferson and getting three, four really good pieces at wide receiver. Justin Jefferson's fantastic. He is fantastic. Whether you look at it at warp numbers, our best ball sheet, whatever. But if I trade away one guy on our model who scores 24 on the model and I get three guys or four guys that are in the tens, who's winning out on that deal? You can go week by week and go, man, Justin Jefferson wouldn't have made my lineup this week, but one of these four assets that I did sure did. And hey, look, two of them actually made my lineup and I'm filling spots after spots. So the easiest position, at least in best ball, to tear down from is the wide receiver position because there's so many of them. Doesn't mean I don't want them because you also have to play the flip side of the game where we're playing dynasty for the long term, right? We can look at it in one-year windows, two-year windows, three-year windows, however you want to do it, but we're also playing for the long game. We're also playing against a community of people who look at it and go, man, I only want the hot names. I only want the CD Lambs. I only want the DK Metcalfs. I only want the the Justin Jeffersons. I only want these guys. Well, if that's who everybody wants, that's who I also want on my team because that's how I get deals done, right? If I have a team full of Brandon Ayukes, I got to find other Brandon Iukes stands who believe in him in order to trade him away. But to your main point, Scott, if somebody comes to you and has that that interest, whether it's Brandon Ayuk or Josh Palmer, whatever tier we're talking about here, yes, be all over it. Be ready to tear down. Be ready to kind of take a, you know, a look at it and go, man, Brandon Ayuk has more dynasty value. I need to exploit this because what he gives me in best ball production does not add up. Let me go get, like you said, three Donovan people Jones types, and I'll just come out on top in the end. Like, I'll be completely fine. So... Yes, you can still do it. That was a long way of saying yes. Yes, Scott, you can you can do these tear downs. They are available. Maybe not in the Royal Rumble just because everybody's sharp and listens to us do podcasts about it and you know has seen people just get raked over the coals and deals before. But in most of the leagues that people are going to play in with just a bunch of averages or randoms, you can get these done all day.
2: Yeah, I think I think like Brandon Ayuk, right? So I have actually quite a bit of Brandon Iyuk exposure, so I can speak to this one a lot. Um, but the uh, the, um, the the thing is, when when I talk about Brandon Ayuk, um having a bunch of exposure to him, I, I can tell you that the reality is people don't really... They don't really tend to offer me something that's over the world for him. He's kind of more in that range that's devalued. So I actually look at him being on a good scoring offense and being efficient and like I, I, I like Brandon Ayuk still now if someone was to offer me three pieces for him he's gone the the tough part I think is where you get the real big crazy three and four for ones that comes with like the elite territory guys and a lot of times people have this name attachment to you know Devontae Adams AJ Brown, Stephon Diggs Justin Jefferson whoever it is and they can't let go for three or four legit pieces um but but that that basically applies to anybody in on the receiver room, running back room, tight end room. The only exception where you have to really look at it a little closer and different would be at the quarterback position. Um I, I do think though, like, you know, getting out of some of these guys on, on dynasty value where their production isn't good in best ball something I want to try. I I do want to give a couple names here too that um like DJ Moore's one. He, he may not be as viable now, given how much hype he'll get going to Chicago. But guys that were not in the high-passing offense and high-scoring offenses, that actually spiked at least once and many of them twice. Uh, DJ Moore, Amari Cooper, Michael Pittman, and Garrett Wilson. And the, the reason I bring them up is, like, I went through and scoured this. And, and when you think about that, right, so that means they're talented enough in their shitty situations to spike still. And I'm not saying, you, you know, this is more of a strategy show than it is like a player analysis show. But the reason that is intriguing to me is they're already spiking in a bad situation. What if their situation got better? Right. Because when I look at spike weeks, there's only like 10 to 12 guys that have more than two spike weeks, period, out there. So if if they're doing this in bad situations, these are guys that if the situation changes, wow, maybe something totally different is going to happen. One, I think that's reasonable dynasty value wise because of the age. And with talking about a situation changing, I mean, you know, Deshaun Watson being there for the full year. And I think there's a lot of talk of them opening it up and passing more. Amari Cooper, especially, is one that I'm at cost, very interested in best ball.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you brought up some of those names because I was thinking along the lines of just the typical dynasty manager now that is obsessed with young wide receivers, guys with the name cachet. But then I sit here and I look at, you know, just the distribution of points from somebody like Jalen Waddle or T. Higgins, Chris Olave. Like it feels like those types are very good players. I mean, I talk, I call them uh, in lineup. I would say they've already passed the sniff test that they are good NFL receivers. They they could have that, you know, that they're getting to wide receiver two numbers just by showing up. But they're valued like they have this mystique potential to get higher than that. Now in pockets of time, they've done that. But I look at those guys and go, like, can you find you know, Adam, if I throw you out a deal where I'm giving you Amari Cooper and Christian Kirk for t higgins that's a deal you're probably like going in lineup most people are going dude that's terrible you're not even getting a first round asset and you're giving up a guy that a lot of people value at least a first if not a first plus right best ball you're licking your chops if you get that offer right because there, that there's a chance you have the two best receivers in that deal
2: yeah that that, now, that would be one that's an absolute home run smash 100 percent with you
0: but I think you need to have a Chris Olave, a T. Higgins, a Jalen Waddle to get that kind of deal done. Correct. Like you're not getting that done with the guys that are a tier below. You're probably not getting that deal done if you're offering up Debo Samuel or DK Metcalf, right? Because they don't have enough name cachet or steam right now to pull a deal like that. So I think that's the other interesting thing is the only thing you're losing, I think Mike made a great point that we could expand on, maybe not on this show, but I know you guys have talked about it before. And Mike, I think this was the one thing I asked you last summer about with some of the deals you were putting on Twitter is the only problem when you make a deal like that, Adam, is you give up Jalen Waddle for, let's say you get Calvin Ridley and you get back Amari Cooper. You're sitting there going, dude, I just have two receivers then I know the numbers, there's a really good chance these two receivers far exceed what the one I'm giving away is. But what did you lose with that deal? When the one thing you probably lost was you're now not sitting on any liquidity with the two guys that you traded for. Correct. You're sitting on the 29-year-old receiver that probably you're riding out until they're no longer usable. You know- so h- how many deals like that can you make before your roster is, I got 30 good players. But in a year, I'm not going to have 30 good players because I'm sitting on a bunch of Brandon Cooks, Tyler Lockett's like those are great for a year. But then you get to the next year and you go, holy shit, what assets do I trade now? Because nobody is in demand on my team.
2: It's a great point you just made. And I I think this is one of the hard things to do. Like when we do a trade show exercise, right? It's hard to just put on one trade because. See, I think when you when you talk about this and a bigger picture, right? I'm proud when I'm taking that trade. Like first of all, I- I'm licking my chops at it, but I'm also knowing that I'm going to do that three, four, five times. And I think when you have all the information we just gave you, and you make trades like that, you basically know, okay, yeah, my my window and shelf life has shortened, right? But now Jalen Waddle maybe is a little bit different than you. Just use the name of Debo Samuel. How many people? I guarantee you, they go to their transactions last year that they declined. Are kicking themselves and the, they're so pissed. Why did I not move Debo Samuel last summer? Right? You, you, you also carry the risk of whatever you keep when in, in a one for two or one for three. Right? If they get hurt, there, there's so many different scenarios in best ball. But the big thing to to answer the question better is, I'm looking in these best ball leagues. Like, let me stack the deck, win one or two years, and then when it's time to get out. I'm going to get out, and it's going to look really good because here's the thing in best ball. We just gave you, and we're going to do the tight ends on our, on, on ours uh, on Friday. But all the things I can tell you of how to stack your team on best ball on a contender, I can also do on the op- opposite side. When it's time to rebuild, and I've already won, and I'm playing with everyone else's money, I'll liquidate these pieces. I'll have my roster full of guys that I don't actually think are going to spike and hit consistent weeks. And then I'm going to guarantee that I can re-roll this thing and be back into the you know liquid life sooner than later. But for right now, I'm looking at a two to three year sprint and Jalen Waddle's great, right? Even as a, the not alpha this year, three spikes, seven consistent weeks. But if I can get out for two guys that might give me the same thing, I'm going to do it. I think uh, Adam, you're, you're touching on a lot of points and, and we've talked about
3: a lot on our best ball when we dive into it. The biggest difference between lineup and best ball for me, Scott, is, is not only, I mean, you just don't start your lineups. And we kind of have this uh, this upside-down world where running backs uh, matter and wide receivers all of a sudden don't. It's kind of crazy. But the biggest difference is the variance thing. In best ball, you can eliminate a lot of the variance. And Adam, Adam can attest to this. Throughout our last couple of years of playing in all these best ball leagues, I mean, you come August and you look at a team and you go, wow. That's a really strong team. We get to the end of the year, very rarely is that team all of a sudden the 103 or the 104 or the 105 and miss the playoffs. Really, no matter how badly they did, if they're properly constructed in baseball, they have enough depth that can survive the injuries, the normal variance that sometimes just kills lineup leagues. Those teams always end up in the playoffs. And a lot of times they're they're in the championship game at least. So when Adams talking about it when we're talking about hey what happens when you lose out on all this value at the wide receiver position is probably the one where I'm really okay doing it as long as it's not as long as it's not elite value like the the value that doesn't fade right the if I'm going to tear down from Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson it's going to be for other good pieces or other ascending pieces right I don't want 7 joshua palmers for my one justin jefferson even though that may be a decent enough best ball move if you kind of did then ran the numbers on it but that's the kind of value i can never recover from if we're talking these mid-tier guys these t higgins these jalen waddles could they go higher 100 percent. what's the likelihood they go higher probably not that great i mean the elite tier is kind of already established these guys are great number twos I think they're probably both overvalued as much as I love T Higgins, but in best ball, they're definitely overvalued. I will say that with all the variants kind of being, I'm not going to say all the variants, most of the variants being taken out on a properly constructed best ball roster, trading those versus doing it in a lineup and, and missing out on this, this value, this value loss that you can't retain is okay. Cause like Adam said, you can stack the deck. You can win this year. Maybe you win next year. And then you're playing for free for the next six or seven years. And you have all kinds of contenders who are gonna go and and go like, Man, you traded for Tyler Lockett two years ago. He's still doing it. I could really use him right now as a best ball dart on my team. You know, I need a new wide receiver six, and they give him a third, or what ends up being a late second, or whatever. And he gets back into the liquidity life and he just kind of keeps it rolling and going and and on and on after that. It's just a cycle that I feel very comfortable playing when. If if you can stack the deck with the rest of your roster, that's why this series has been so important is doing it as a whole, how to build depth, how to build a proper constructed best ball team. And if you do have that, I mean, you're going to be in the semifinals, I can pretty much guarantee, you, unless you just absolutely, absolutely run into the worst string of luck we've ever seen where you lose four quarterbacks, (laughs) and have no way to get out of it.
0: So two things I want to end it with, because I think you both hit on points that I think are going to really, really resonate with people, because my assumption coming at it from a lineup perspective is once I make that tier down, the Jalen Waddle for Christian Kirk and Amari Cooper, I'm sunk. I'm never going back up from my Amari Cooper and Christian Kirk. If things go south, it's like I'm screwed now. I can't go back up. But that's my question for both of you is as you start playing in a larger portfolio, as you start playing with people that are playing in a bunch of best ball leagues, they've played now for two, three, four years in best ball. They see what's winning. Do you find that there is more likely to be a market if you wanted to get back out on a deal like that? Now, obviously you have to have the Amari Cooper and the Christian Kirk type that is firing at the rate that still makes them as valuable as what Adam was talking about. But have you found that you actually, if you for some reason wanted to go the other way, there's somebody that's more apt to be willing to let you consolidate, hey, I'm wanting to blow up my squad. I got 19 usable pieces on my roster. Is there usually someone willing to give you one piece that maybe is valued higher that is injured, A, a JMO for two usable pieces? Is that type of deal more likely to happen in a best ball league because there's people that are constantly searching for those extra depth pieces, like does it feel like you can recover from that actually easier if you wanted to do a one eighty?
2: Yeah, yes. The the answer is unequivocally yes, and and it, it'll be interesting to see how this trends moving forward as people start playing more best ball dynasty leagues and understand kind of how the nuances work, right? But right now, Mike and I have seen in the last two years, especially in a lot of different places, what what will happen is people that don't quite understand the differences in lineup and best they're going to have a pretty good best ball team. But what's keeping them from getting to the championship range is depth. And even early when they think they're fine, there will be attrition that happens to them at some point. And that's when they realize, shit, I have to get out of Jamar Chase if I want a chance. I got to get out of some of these elite assets because I don't have enough depth, right? And that's where if you have enough of the you know, Amari Coopers, Christian Kirk's, Tyler Lockett's, Amon Ross St. Brown was in a tier where he's in an eighth, ninth round startup last year, right? All the, all the stuff that you, you, you backfill with enough of those guys, who are they going to go to? You don't want to be at the McNuttet shop. Let me tell you that. Cause that's what happens when you go to the McNuttet shop is you will lose now one of your studs and he'll get, he will get out of Jalen Waddle for those two. And he'll find a way to get into a player that's just as valuable for dynasty as Waddle for probably cheaper or assets he'd rather send him than those two receivers. So I, I think that's one of the big differences too in lineup and best ball is how trades work, right? Initially, you you want to keep downturn, but once people realize that's the optimal strategy and you don't, like, now you sit on the assets and it's a totally different conversation when we go to the table to make a trade. I think the biggest thing, especially,
3: this is the wide receiver episode, but one of the things Adam and I have kind of prided ourselves on the last couple of years is, is, I don't know what the hit rate is, but we find these wide receivers who have this ascension, right? I mean, the only thing we probably got right last year on our videos where we're breaking down players was quarterbacks and wide receivers because all of our running backs were horrible. But we're looking at these wide receivers who have a situation or have a quarterback who's up and coming, who's ascending, who's in an offense that's getting better. And those are the ones over the last couple of years that I've been historically targeting. So everybody wants uh, the Justin Jeffersons or the Tyreek Hills or th- rewind a year. Devontae Adams, you know, still had elite dynasty value. Those are the kind of guys I'm going to get at. I'm going to go down to the next guy and go, you know what? I want a draft pick, a decent enough draft pick. And I kind of like the situation that Christian Kirk is going into in Jacksonville. Now we fast forward a year. I have the draft pick. I have the liquidity. And plus, Christian Kirk has closed that gap with Devontae Adams. Now, has he exceeded him? I mean, that's for everybody else to decide. But those are the kind of moves that we're trying to get into. We're trying to get into those. Brandon Ayuk is devalued. Brandon Ayuk is a ninth round startup pick. Maybe I'll make a trade where I get Brandon Ayuk in a piece for my, you know, my, uh, my DK Metcalf. I'm going to tear down from DK Metcalf. Now, is DK Metcalf finished? No, he's still a pretty good wide receiver, but Brandon Ayuk has closed that gap. And it's it's that two-for-one deal. Scott, I've heard you talk about it a billion times too. At the wide receiver position, is probably the easiest one to make that bet and is what I really like to do, where you, you only have to come close with one of those pieces hitting to win the deal. And you still have that other piece where – oh my gosh, you know, if if Christian Kirk gets close to production level of Devontae Adams, I basically got a free first round pick, right? And that's how you continue to make these dynasty trades, especially in best ball and especially at the wide receiver position that sets you up for the long term. So while you may theoretically lose the value, the teardown is always in play and you can get extremely crusty and go down multiple tiers it's not your traditional like i want to go from a top eight quarterback to a top 12 quarterback well that's not a giant jump that's not a huge jump at the wide receiver position when you talk about it because of the name cachet you want to go down from an aj brown to a you know going into last year like a, a garrett wilson type like you're getting a first rounder attached to it like you're getting something onto it and now you look at it this year and you go damn Garrett Wilson, pretty much the same as A.J. Brown, plus I got a free pick. It's so much easier to do at the wide receiver position because there's so many of these guys. There's so much potential, and there's so much name cachet for it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the the two-for-one, the leverage deals. I talk about those all the time, but the, the limitation to those deals in a lineup league, uh, is picture this analogy. You're at an arcade, and you have 11 $1 bills, right? Each game you want to play costs a dollar. So I know going in, I can play 11 games. It's just like starting 11 players. So I'm already set up, right? I get to play 11 games. I have 11 $1 bills. But I go, okay, how do I turn this 11 games? How can I play 18 games? So really what I'm doing in best ball is I'm taking each one of those dollars and I'm finding somebody to give me 80 cents and 40 cents for those dollar bills. Now, here's the problem. The machines don't take 80 cents and 40 cents. So I might be able to get seven of those deals done where I've made 20 cents on each one of those trades. But guess what? Now I have a bunch of change. I can't play 11 games anymore. I can only play the games where I can then color back up to get my 80 cents and 40 cents into a dollar. That's what I talk about all the time in leverage deals where if you can find a flat tier player, when you trade a $1 asset for an 80 cents asset and a 40 cents asset, what you're betting on is... That 80 cents asset and $1 asset are close enough together where in six months I could go, damn, they're the same thing. And you gave me a free 40 cents. That is the leverage trade in a nutshell. In best ball, guess what? I can go around to all those games and I can play them with coins. It doesn't matter. I don't have to color back up to set a lineup. As long as I'm within the parameters of my roster spots, I'm fine. and I'm gaining money every time I make one of these trades. And I think that's where the math calculation is important, too. I know you guys mentioned on the last show you play in leagues where 12 starters, 13 starters, 35, 40-man rosters. It feels like the deeper it is, the more apt you're willing to do these two-for-one, three-for-one trades. Because you have more roster spots to play with. And how many times have you seen in leagues where 35-man rosters and somebody has a top-heavy team of nine players and half of their roster is absolute dog shit? And you know at some point they're going to have to come to you and go, Mike, man, my team's in ninth place. They're just not firing. I don't have enough guys to get by. You know, what can we make work? And here you are sitting on, man, I got 27 good assets. All right. I'll entertain one deal where I go back up. Because now you have, you know, you have some extra roster spots to fill, but you're in a position where you can leverage them because of the fact that it's such a deep roster. So I, I would say you have to do the math before you enter a league. If it's... You know, Royal Rumble cuts down to 25 roster spots. Yep. I went into it going, man, give me all the thirds, give me all the fourths, give me, let me max my team out. But now I'm sitting on a roster in Royal Rumble. I got about 40 assets. Now, guess what I'm going to have to do before we get to cutdowns? Get rid of them. I'm going to have to find ways to color back up. Now, some of the guys are going to take care of themselves, right? I'm just going to cut them. Sure. But I know already I'm looking at a team that by the time we get to cutdowns, once I make my eight third and fourth round picks, I'm going to be going, man, I got 37 players on my team, and I somehow got to cut this down to 25 in the next two weeks. And that's going to be painful because there's going to be six or seven guys I'm going to cut, and I'm going to go, dude, that's a 50-50 shot. Cutting this guy and keeping this guy. In two weeks, the guy I'm cutting, everyone might be picking up. And the guy I kept is a complete zero. So yeah. it's just interesting, the dynamics. It's a math equation I think you can leverage way better in best ball as long as it's within the parameters of your roster size.
2: Yeah, that that that's actually a very good point. It's kind of what's intriguing to me about the Royal Rumble is almost every time the offers I'm getting are deals I'm not gonna make. It's like, you know I want a down tier. I'm not I'm getting, you know, I don't have Waddle, but if I did, that's what I'm getting, you know, the Amari Cooper side of that deal. You know I want that side. The reality though, with 25 roster spots, what's interesting is that we have not yet seen more up tier type things. Like I've actually uh some of the trades I've made are up tiers that I couldn't say no to. Because when you start thinking I have only 25 spots, it makes it harder to down tier over and over because you will get past the roster limit, right? And the waivers will become better because of it. And, you know, the deeper, uh, same thing. If you get to 40 spots, like Mike and Mike's leagues that we, we run, the, the South Harmon leagues, you almost can never down tier enough. Like, it's almost impossible. Like You'd have to play for so many years before you're like, you know what, man? I got 35 or 40 spots that I really like. Let's let's start up tiering. It, it, you, you couldn't do it almost, you know? I, th- I think this has been
3: awesome. I got to get a number, though. We got to get a number. We'll go around here. What's your number of wide receivers? So with these settings, we got. We got 30-man rosters. So just to recap for those of you out there and for the my fellow, my fellow hosts here, we got five quarterbacks, eight running backs. Where are we at on wide receivers? I said I need at least 10. Adam, what about you, man? Where are you at on how many wide receivers you'd need for this setup?
2: I'm at, I'm at 12 to 13, and I think that probably pivots based on my quarterback room. Like Mike kind of talked about, if I have two of the high-end ones and I only have four, I'll, I'll go ahead and make 13 receivers. Otherwise, I want 12. Scott.
0: Yeah, I know we haven't got to the tight end episode yet, but obviously if I give you a number here, you could do the math on how many I'm <laughs> thinking at tight end. You sure can. So I'm I'm with Mike on the ten but i also think that leaves me some flexibility because if i say 10 here that's going to mean seven tight ends but i think you could probably flex you know two each way when it comes to receivers or tight ends you could probably go 10 receivers seven tight ends or you could go five tight ends 12 receivers and get away with it either way you might even be able to go out to 13 and 4 that's that's probably getting a little slim on tight end which we'll talk about on the next show but because it's 1.75 premium and I think when you get into two PPR, dude, I'm in a league that's 2.75 PPR for tight ends. Oh, so man. now you're talking to like, dude, even the dogs at tight ends—they get almost three points per reception. So you know, Austin Hooper's a wide receiver one there, and all he has to do is catch you know 50 for 500.
2: That's crazy. It, that's crazy because it takes the touchdown-only tight ends even further down from the equation. Right.
0: It it does, but but even like the Dawson Knoxes of the world, you're going, damn, if he's going to catch me 50 balls. I'm multiplying that by three. You know what I mean? For sure. Like, it, I, you need to catch 125 passes as a receiver to equal Dawson Knox. So, I yeah, I think I'm probably at 10 with just the the flexibility to go a little bit higher or lower depending on the quality of my tight ends and receivers.
3: I think uh, I think I'm in the same too. Like, I'm gonna say 10, but I I might go up or down. I'm probably not going down. At least 10, I would say, but I'll probably go up if I don't get one of those decent enough wide receivers like one of those guys in the top 15 at least one of those guys on my roster another couple maybe in the top 24 and then you know three four the majority of them i want that top 40 that we were talking about earlier and then i'm just filling in with with dudes like if i if i can have that roster construction 10 guys i think i can get by with but there's drafts, man, where I you know I spend all this capital, because we talked about it on the quarterback episode. I trade up because I want those elite quarterbacks, man. I need those two elite quarterbacks. that's the first thing I'm trying to do. Maybe I backfill with running backs. and I'm looking and it's round eight, nine, and I haven't touched wide receiver yet. I haven't even looked at my team for wide receiver yet. I might, I might just go with 13, 14, maybe it's 15. Sure. Like I'm good at quarterbacks, so I'm only going to roll out four of these guys. I'm good at running back. I might only have five, maybe six, because they're all guys who are in the top 20 of running backs. And then wide receiver is going to be the position where I go, Hell, I'm just going to monitor snap counts all year. Anytime I see a Rashid shaheed <laughs> playing 50-60% of the snaps who's on waivers, picking them up. And I'm going to keep churning the bottom of these rosters. If Trent Sherfield doesn't hit Get off my team I'm finding a receiver who's getting on the field right now so that I would say it's all it's all just dependent but the wide receiver position at least how I treat it is that one that's the uh, the pivot for me where I'm I'm backfilling I'm adjusting that completely off of what I did at quarterback and running back
2: yeah I think the last thing I'll say about you know when I say 12 and 13 I'm pretty much talking you're going to hear this in March all right so let's even say you do these principles and you, you go out of your startup or your auction, the early part of the year, first six, eight weeks, like you're going to find out some of these people that you have as your 12 or 13 just aren't worth it. Right. The reality is I think earlier, like in the spring and in the start of the year, you can be a little more flexible with these numbers because you're going to have to make trades. And the biggest point I want to make is you should be in the range of these things, but, what you need to make sure you do, if you're light on one or heavier on the other, is you got to get rid of all, when you get to contention time, you have to get rid of all the zeros. I don't care how much love you have for Hunter Long like Mike and I did. They have to go. You have. I don't care what position it's at unless it's like a, co- if it's not a starter for you, they're not going to have a chance to make your team ever. They need to go and you need to get people in that can actually make your team if you're a contender. I don't care what position it's at.
0: Yeah, you dropped the name that we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about on the last episode on the tight end show. And I think the tight end show will be a little bit quicker because really it's just like the icing on the cake when we're talking about this because tight end is one of those positions where the landscape is really, really flat. But in best ball, that matters. And I think if I'm looking at this doing a startup right now, I'm probably going to go a little heavier at receivers like you were saying, Adam. Because I know that tight end, A, it's a position that a lot of people aren't in tune with like maybe what, What constitutes where maybe a player could come out of nowhere? Uh, And B, people just tend to follow the typical redraft mindset or even just standard tight end premium or PPR mindset with tight end is like, yeah, that guy's a dog. He doesn't matter. Tight ends are gross. They don't matter. Best ball, they definitely matter. 1.75 premium, they definitely matter. Finding a Jawan Johnson off waivers matters. So I think we can talk about that a little bit more and how we're going to approach that in March versus – you know, in, in August, I'm going to draft a little bit differently. Probably go slimmer at receivers because I have a much easier uh, ability to figure out who's going to be where, and I know I can probably cast a little bit of a wider net at tight end. So we'll get to that. We'll close it out with some just basic best ball strategy tips that I wanted to bring up. Uh, you can find these guys on Twitter at uh, ATM4DChess for Adam and Mike at Iowa Michael. Everything at Destination Devi over at patreon.com slash allgas. Myself at Charles Chill FFB. Check out the other content that I do on Dynasty Trades and Five on YouTube. Uh, and then my Patreon over at patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. Uh, Friday, we will have the fourth part of this uh, the tight end show on 4D chess, also on the Destination Debbie feed. So check that out. Uh, and then finally, the newsletter uh, it is allgas.behive.com backslash subscribe Uh, until next time the tight end show as we close this roster construction series i'll go ahead and sign off